Good morning, George. Pleasure to be here with you in Deniloquin. I'm always impressed by people's ingenuity, the strength of spirit and the amazing communities that I encounter. But I'm also very concerned the further west I get in terms of genuine access to what people in Australia I think have a right to take for granted, which is access to healthcare, access to education and access to their parliamentarians to stand up for their community. We had the public health inquiry hearing last Thursday and some explosive evidence came of that. What's your thoughts on the entire Daniloquin Hospital situation? I know that the locals are absolutely livid about the way in which their needs in this community have been ignored year after year by elected members. And this is the problem when somebody becomes elected and they think it's a sinecure for life. They can do what they want to do and they ignore the problems that are mounting. The consequences of that, though, are people in this community in Daniloquin are at risk. Their health is at risk. Their families are at risk. And of all things, access to healthcare is something clearly that the Labor Party has been profoundly passionate about. Before Medicare, there was a time before Medicare and heaps of people can't even remember it, but before people had that little green card in their wallet, the biggest cause of bankruptcy was actually medical debt because people sold their house to pay for the healthcare that they needed. Labor brought in Medicare so that everybody who contributes to our national wealth has the opportunity to benefit from it by being able to access healthcare. And when I hear from local residents of this area that they just can't get in to see a GP, when I hear from GPs, and I am meeting with GPs during the course of my visit, they just are at their wits end. You know that there's a big problem in this town. But when people are feeling vulnerable and can't access healthcare, when their hospital is compromised by a failure of vision for this community by their local representative members, it hollows out the economic capacity of the town, it makes businesses vulnerable, and it impacts on the longevity of people across the region who used to be able to come to Daniloquin Hospital and know that they were going to get a service. Another strong focus for you, chatting off the air, is the mental health services in this entire region. It's very hard for people to get those services. It certainly is. And there's a couple of really important parts about how we've ended up where we are right now. So we're talking about health workforce in both GPs, nurses, allied health, and then with mental health services. This is a pretty big country and it's spread across a large and vast area. I think It's the Australian government's responsibility to make sure that a workforce is actually created and then distributed across the country in a way where people who've got the benefit of getting a great degree actually make some commitment to service Australians where they live, not just where they can make money. And the problem with mental health in particular is really significant concentration in particular suburbs. That's how stuck in particular areas some of these services are. And, you know, I'm all for telehealth as a support for face-to-face, but not in place of face-to-face because it just isn't the right thing for everybody. What are you hoping to get out of these conversations with the GPs in your visit to Daniloquin? Well, it's always important to get the facts and it's important that citizens in our country who are standing up for their community when their elected members are missing in action 
they need to be heard. And that's really at the heart of my job, to see what's going well and encourage that and support it, but also to be that ear when Susan Lee just basically says, too bad, so sad, I'm not interested. It won't affect my vote anyway. Why should I bother? And continues to cut. This is the third term of the Abbott, Turnbull, Morrison government now. The first thing Mr Abbott did when he got in was take $57 billion out of the national state health relations. That meant there was massive cuts in New South Wales. $22 billion was taken then. And the other critical thing that he took away, since we're talking about workforce, is an agency called Health Workforce Australia that in 2013, when he came to power, had 200 people out of South Australia, Adelaide, working on making sure that we grew the workforce and made sure that we had strategies in place to incentivise people to end up across the country. That whole agency got dissolved. And the last bit of evidence that I took a few years ago was that there were two people from that agency who moved to the Department of Health in Canberra. Well, whether it's two people now or 20, the proof of the pudding is right across the country. Up and down the Murray-Darling Basin, there is a chronic shortage of GPs to service these communities. There is a failure of basic service provision. And that is what a government, in my view, is elected to do to make services access to the Australians who have elected them. It's a big situation and something that is going to obviously take a bit of time to redevelop and reheal, I guess. Moving towards the Murray-Darling Basin Plan inquiry hearing, you're here for that as well? The committee will be coming into town and in the last few weeks, now that COVID's looking like it's sort of whipped down into shape a little more, it's not so uh, dangerous for coast-dwelling senators to come out to the bush. You know, we didn't want to bring any disease with us last year, so we all sort of went into hibernation in terms of getting around the community. So this year we've sort of pushed forward with a vengeance and we've been in Dubbo and Moree in the last couple of weeks and now here to Daniloquin. Later in the week we're heading to Shepparton and that's going to be a really, really good taste of what's going down here in the lower part of the Murray-Darling and also the different sorts of farming that we're hearing about on the other side of the river in Shepparton. The committee's trying to get a sense of what's it like to actually have four states competing for water with all these cross-jurisdictional problems. We've heard that floodplain harvesting in New South Wales is called overland flow in Queensland. There's different names even for the same kind of movements of water. There's different metering requirements. There's different processes of reporting. So for irrigators and farming families that are still on the land, properties on either side of the river in two jurisdictions, they have absolutely been overwhelmed by the kind of paperwork that makes them inefficient in doing what they need to do, which is to grow in a way that is sustainable and look after the resources that are in their care, plus create jobs and grow their wealth. All of those things are compromised when they're just spending hours and hours managing cross-state problems that are just not being organised. So we're looking at that. Yeah, so you're suggesting that potentially it is just simplified and it's not as overwhelming as it currently is? I think that that's absolutely a goal that would go down very well with the people who've been speaking to us. But there just seems to be so many problems with this. And there's been inordinate delays. Just last week in Moree, we had a farmer from Burke drive seven hours to come and speak to us about his experience with government announcements. And to be fair, it was about that state and federal level. Government announcements 
followed up by years of inaction and uncertainty, basically leaving him and others in his community with stranded water assets that they couldn't do anything about. And just in the last year, in October, prior to the announcement of a halt to buybacks, he'd gone through the whole process, finally deciding that he wanted to sell his water to the Commonwealth. That was in October. He put in all his paperwork was finalised on the 1st. Minister Pitt, just arbitrarily, a few days later, said that's the end of water buybacks. And now here he is again with an asset that's stranded if he wants to deliver it to the environment through the federal government. That kind of delay and uncertainty actually impacts people to the tunes of millions and millions and millions of dollars, and it takes away jobs. So that's one example. Well, look, it's really good to see you here this morning. Thank you so much for visiting the region. And if people want to reach out to you or ask any questions or let you know about certain issues happening in their part of the world, how can they go about that? You could just Google me, Senator Deborah O'Neill. It's a pretty straightforward email, senator.o-nei-l at A-P-H. .gov.au. That's for Australian Parliament House. So you can go on the website, find us there. I'd love to hear from people. That mental health we were talking about, the stress and strain that people are experiencing, and sadly, suicide ideation and people just finding desperate responses to terrible situations. We can avoid all that harm in our community if we can hear one another. Well, my office is open. My ears are unstopped. People can write to me, can communicate with me by email, they can ring my office and let me know what's happening for them and I will make sure they're represented at federal level even if their local member, Susan Lee, isn't interested. Labor Senator for Farrah, Deborah O'Neill, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.